Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Tuesday, October 31st. I'm Hannah Floor. A trio of artists from around the world will be performing in Alaska over the next week. They'll be in Petersburg at the Wright Auditorium tomorrow night. The musicians are part of Lyric and Spirit, an ongoing project showcasing female voices. As KFSK reports, the traveling trio is blending their inspirations to create new, unique sounds. This year, Lyric and Spirit features three musicians. Nana Baudle is from Mozambique and often accompanies herself on percussion as she sings. Luisa La Serva is from Brazil. She sings and plays classical guitar. And Bhargashi Venikopal is a singer and flutist from India. The trio has been performing in the Pacific Northwest, traveling between gigs by van. I caught up with the group as they were driving to Washington from a concert in Oregon, the first part of a tour that will end in Alaska. They say they've been singing together often while they're on the road. Baula sometimes accompanies the singing with body percussion. I was wondering if you would be up for singing a little bit on the phone. For you? Yeah. The musicians have only known each other for about a week, but they connected immediately over shared musical interests. Coming from India, I have been a crazy fan of Brazilian music. I have been trying to study, learn, enjoy, appreciate, and apply some of it into my own. That's about Agashi Venugopal. She says that as the group plays together, they've been doing a lot of listening, trying to pick out elements to incorporate into new pieces. It's just been a great learning curve for us, and we look forward to a lot of new sounds being born out of this inspiration. The concert consists of four acts. Each musician will perform individually, and then the three will come together for a final act that combines their cultures and influences. Luisa Lacerda says their quick friendship influences their performance as well. It's best for the show when people like each other on the stage. So I, I feel more comfortable and happy singing with them. The three musicians won't be traveling to Alaska alone. They're joined by Baula's three-year-old son. That's because Lyric and Spirit creator Brian Gore wanted to make the project kid-friendly. He says he doesn't want the artists who participate to have to choose between being a parent and an artist. Gore has been bringing together musical acts for more than 20 years with his ongoing project, International Guitar Night. He says he wants this project to highlight women's voices. I found them um, during the many long, lonely nights in the deep bowels of COVID, um, where their music uh, gave me great comfort and solace. Next year, Lyric and Spirit will have a different roster of musicians. Alaska isn't on the tour, but it's possible that future Lyric and Spirit groups will be. Gore says his booking agent loves to work with the presenters and arts councils around Alaska. In addition to Petersburg, the group will be performing in Valdez and Anchorage through the first week of November. In Petersburg, I'm Hannah Floor. And Lyric and Spirit will perform at the Wright Auditorium tomorrow night on November 1st at 7 p.m. Tickets are $20 in advance at Lee's Clothing 
and $25 at the door. And the event is sponsored by the Petersburg Arts Council. The Ketchikan Wellness Coalition was awarded a federal grant to combat the rising rates of teen drug use in Ketchikan. The grant is called a Strategic Prevention Framework Grant. It promises $375,000 a year for the next 10 years, with the intent of reaching youth in the community before they reach addiction. Jackie Yates is the coalition's executive director. She says they will hire three new staff members with the grant money. Yates says they hope to build new youth mentorship and leadership programs reaching all the way into the elementary school years. So we create this chain for the youth to see what it's like to be involved in the community at a very young age. It was a big part of my upbringing to know there is an element of community obligation, right? A sense of purpose within the community. You have this purpose, you have this voice in the community. It was instilled in me at a very young age. And how could we create this as a community as a whole so everyone feels a sense of purpose for the community? The coalition has partnered with organizations across the city, including Ketchikan Gateway Borough School District, Ketchikan Indian Community, and the Ketchikan Police Department on drug takebacks and what Yates calls positive ticketing. I don't know if anyone remembers when you were a kid or just a community member and maybe you were wearing your helmet riding your bike, you used to get a free ice cream cone from the police department. Similar to that, that's positive ticketing, but we want to amp it up a notch and maybe give out movie tickets or coffees for people who are doing good decisions and good things within the community. I'm really excited about just reinforcing positive behavior within the community. The grant is specifically focused on primary prevention, stopping drug use before it starts. Yates says that has a significantly higher rate of success than after someone's already addicted. But she says that the coalition will continue to offer services to all members of the community suffering from addiction. This week is Red Ribbon Week, a national campaign created in response to the 1985 murder of drug enforcement agent Kiki Camarina. The campaign encourages communities to unite and take visible action against drugs. The large number of unfilled jobs in Alaska is not just about the pandemic, the Great Resignation, or the disenchantment of Gen Z with traditional work roles. New data from the Alaska Department of Labor suggests that it's also about demographics and that it's not going to turn around anytime soon. Robert Woolsey reports from Sitka. Finding workers in Alaska these days is tough. That's because there are roughly two jobs open for everyone looking for work. This is 180 degrees from the historic job market in the early 2000s, where there were just over two job seekers for every available job. It all came to a head over the last couple of years, and there was a constant refrain, the great resignation. Where is everybody? Job openings everywhere are left unfilled. Businesses are desperate for workers. The great resignation, America's... Many analysts attributed the great resignation to a reset of sorts, a change in the attitudes toward work. So many people lost jobs during the pandemic, they just weren't ready to go back to their old, unfulfilling work, we were told. But something had started to change even before the pandemic, and it's described in the latest issue of the Alaska Department of Labor's Economic Trends. All across the country, job openings had begun to rise and labor shortages were occurring because baby boomers were aging out of the workforce. 
Demographers had seen it coming for a long time. That it happened in the middle of the first global pandemic in a century was coincidence. State labor economist Dan Robinson authored the October issue of Trends. He writes, the pandemic accelerated the imbalance by prompting many older workers to retire earlier than they otherwise would have. The three examples that come to mind to me most obviously would be uh, nurses, teachers, and flight attendants. I think how, how miserable some of that work became during COVID. And Robinson also makes another critical point. Although some economic trends are leveling out in the aftermath of the pandemic, this demographic trend likely won't. Employers are going to have to work hard to, to, to hire and retain until I think the baby boomers are kind of uh, all the way aged out and we, we find some new stability. And that might mean some companies figuring out how to do the same business they used to do with fewer people. So now the question is, once an employer has found workers, how do you keep them? The October issue of Trends also looks at job turnover, and the data there are also telling. For example, although wages matter in retaining employees, wages aren't everything. Some occupations with high compensation, like cell tower installers or highway maintenance workers, show exceptionally high rates of turnover, while other lower-paid occupations like bicycle mechanics and bartenders tend to hold on to workers. The data don't account for tips, which likely throw bartenders into a higher earning tier than bike mechanics, but there is overlap in less quantifiable ways like creativity and social interaction and a dedication to a craft or purpose. And what sends workers away from an employer? Sometimes it's a desire to change jobs or do the same job for someone else at higher pay, Alaska doesn't have hard data in this area, but Robinson cites a national study conducted by the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, which concluded that a toxic work culture was three times more likely to contribute to attrition than compensation. He writes, some of the attributes of a toxic culture include disrespectful treatment and unethical behavior. It begs the question what what uh, workplace toxicity means. But every time I brought that up, I, I was doing a presentation in Anchorage last week, and, and I mentioned that. And he, he, I, I swear a tenth of the people in the audience's heads were vigorously nodding. All of these factors are probably in play in the two occupations in Alaska with the highest and lowest rates of turnover. At the top of the list, with an annual turnover rate of 84%, are fast food cooks who earn an average of $16 an hour, And at the bottom, with a turnover rate of just 8% and an hourly wage of about $50 an hour, are architects. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Juno restaurant Black Moon Coven, known for its bone broth soup and witchy decor, closed last week after two and a half years. Its owner is training to become a death doula, someone who provides emotional and spiritual support at the end of life. Katie Anastas has more. Three years ago, Ames Villanueva Alf was out for a run in downtown Juneau when she saw a small restaurant space for rent on Seward Street. Its walls were painted what she called bumblebee yellow. And I peered in this window and immediately could just see, even though like there was like blinding yellow, I could see and envision this. That vision was a dark but cozy nook adorned with taxidermy and skulls, with coffins and three-eyed cats painted on black walls. She called it Black Moon Coven. When somebody is walking past 
the window, they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know if you're going to go in there and get a curse. They don't know if you're going to get some hexing. They don't know. Yeah, I just wanted it to be very obscure because I wanted them to be curious enough to just risk it and then maybe get a bond me. Black Moon Coven opened in April 2021, offering sweet and savory waffles for breakfast and sandwiches and noodles for lunch. Last week, it closed. Starting next month, Villanueva Alf will train to become a death and grief doula. Before Black Moon, she spent five years running Gonzo, a restaurant in Ock Bay. That place was really loud just when you walked in and very vibrant. And, um, you know, that was where I spent all of my energy and all of my time. She closed Gonzo in 2020 after she was assaulted there. I had a lot of friends that have had restaurants and have had um, people that have violated them, but like not in this way. So it just felt really lonely. Villanueva Alf went into what she called a cocooning phase. She signed a lease for the new space downtown. She invited friends to paint ghosts and coffins on the walls. She collected taxidermy. I wanted to bring in that aspect of like basically memento mori, you know, remember your mortality. The first thing she cooked in her new kitchen was bone broth, honing her recipe to make the flavors even deeper. Black Moon Coven offered bone broth seasoned with ginger, garlic, scallions, and cilantro meant to be sipped. Around the time she opened Black Moon, Villanueva Alf started studying yoga, sound healing, and spiritual psychology. A question from one of her instructors led her to her next move, becoming a death doula. And it was, if you could be something for yourself when you were a child, what would you be? What would you need? And can you bring that out right now? And I was thinking about how badly I would have wanted somebody to explain grief to me. Now she wants to help people at the end of their lives and their loved ones experience death and grief in a healthy way. I want to give people life recipes for how to suffer well. For now, she's grieving the closure of Black Moon Coven. She'd spent the last few days gifting decorations to friends and her staff of seven. Pretty soon, it would be time to paint the black walls white. Still, Villanueva Alf says closing Black Moon feels better than closing Gonzo. It's on her own terms, out of excitement for the future rather than ties to the past. In Juneau, I'm Katie Anastas. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.